Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews, hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? Welcome everyone. This is Rich Take on Sports and we survived the official launch in episode number one. So now, welcome to episode number two. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thank you for being a fellow investor by investing your time to listen to our podcast. And as I mentioned in episode number one, the launch of this podcast really consisted of a trio of episodes. So this episode and episode number three will have a slightly different format than episode number one. This episode is going to be more guest-centric and we'll focus on our special guest who's going to share his journey and the impact of sports in his life, and that's Cliff Ellis, the current men's basketball head coach at Coastal Carolina. Now, the same rules apply, though. I want to hear from all of you. I want to connect. I want to have some feedback and some suggestions. So please follow me on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Email me, Richmond at richtakeonsports.com, and even rate and review on iTunes. And the biggest compliment is when you actually share this podcast with others. Now, here's the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Our guest in this episode is current head coach for the men's basketball team at Coastal Carolina, and he was also the former head coach at Auburn University and Clemson University and University of South Alabama, none other than Cliff Ellis. He's got a long storied career, and I think once you listen to the interview, you'll hear some of his accomplishments, and it's really impressive when you stack him up against some of the other big names in college basketball. And I have a unique bond with Coach Ellis as well. Uh, because he allowed me to be part of the basketball team when I was a student starting in 1989 at Clemson. I wanted to follow my dream of coaching college basketball, and I knew I needed to be a part of the team. Now, I wanted to be a part of the team as a player trying to walk on, but that was a reality check, a humbling experience, and obviously a life lesson. But Coach Ellis allowed me to be a part of the team as a student manager, and I'm ever grateful for that because after that, I was able to get into college coaching, and a lot of that had to do with his help. Now, it didn't work out for me in terms of following that career path, but again, he helped me at the beginning, and again, I'm very grateful for that. So now, here's Coach Ellis. Coach Ellis, thanks for joining us today. It's good being with you, Richie. Greatly appreciate it, and Coach, I know we're going to jump into the impact of sports and your life and you know before we really explore that journey i just wanted to make sure and share uh, with our listeners some of your accomplishments through your illustrious career and i just don't think you get enough credit uh for your longevity and the accomplishments that you've been able to earn and you know this past january you recorded your 800th total career victory you're the only coach in ncaa history to record at least 170 victories or more at four different schools 
only one of 12 coaches in NCAA history to lead four different schools to the NCAA tournament and one of four coaches to make multiple NCAA tournament appearances with four different schools. Your teams have earned 10 NCAA tournament appearances, 13 NIT bids, and you've advanced to the Sweet 16 three times, once with Clemson and twice with Auburn. You're named AP Coach of the Year, uh, and you've also been named Conference Coach of the Year six times in your career. And top that off with being elected into three separate Halls of Fames. Coach, when you hear those list of accomplishments, how does that make you feel? Well, it's a reflection really and truly of, of the gifts that I've been given uh, to be able to coach the game. But it's really a tribute to the players and all the people that have been associated with the coaching staff, uh, administrative staff. Uh, it's really a tribute to them because it truly is a team game. And uh, I've been a part of some, some, some fabulous people and, uh, that's what I reflect on it. I really, I really don't think of it as something that I've accomplished. I have just had the name tag in front of it, but it's really been about the players and the people that I've surrounded myself with. And I've been very fortunate and very blessed. Definitely can agree with that. And so early on, just walk us through how you gravitated into sports growing up in Florida and what that has looked like for you. Right. Well, as a young kid, I lived in a neighborhood where sports was prevalent. I mean, everybody played, and we played all sports. Uh, it, 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 we would play uh, football in the, in the fall, and, and then in the winter it went to basketball, and in the summer it was baseball, and, uh, you know, heck, we'd shoot marbles. We'd do anything, anything competitive. Back then there wasn't much air conditioning. Uh, you did anything to get outside, and you were told to go outside, and that was – that was a great learning experience. And I guess my first experience of competitive sports was when I was nine years old and made the little league baseball team in Chipley, Florida. And I was the only nine year old to make it and played under the lights on Tuesday night. And I enjoyed that thrill of competing and playing. And, uh, uh, I, I knew at an early age that I, that I wanted, that I loved the games and, uh, uh, at that point in time, I didn't know exactly where it would take me, but I also knew in the eighth grade that I wanted to coach, and I thought it was basketball. It would either be basketball or baseball. Uh, I was too small to play football past uh, uh, varsity uh, football uh, after JV football. I just concentrated on, on basketball and baseball and even a little bit of golf, but I knew I wanted to coach, and I had a an inspiration in my life. Uh, the coach at Chipley High School at, at, at when I was growing up uh, was a guy by the name of Philip Browntree. He taught me, he coached me Little League, he coached me in, in so many things that I knew I wanted to be like him. Um, and I knew I wanted, I loved the game, and I, I, I just felt a, a calling to do that in the eighth grade. And fortunately for me, it stuck. And, uh, so that's how I came to find a love for the game. I was never a, uh, great, uh, basketball player. I was somewhat slow. I could shoot the basketball. Uh, I started school when I was very young. I was 16 halfway through my senior year. I didn't mature 
uh, uh, enough uh, uh, to to be able to be that com- that person I need to be. When I was very young, when I was in the seventh and eighth grade, I was probably the guy uh, when it came to basketball and baseball. But as I grew uh, and you know just did not mature, you know guys caught up, and I wasn't quite as strong or fast and. You know, I still had a I had a good high school career, but that was pretty much it. I wanted to play college basketball. Uh, I tried to play at Chipola uh, Junior College, and uh, I broke my ankle. Uh, I was never offered a scholarship. Ended up playing on the golf team. But I just stayed competitive. So uh, I I never fulfilled that. I never was able to feel that that dream of being the best player. Uh, and I, I always had that hunger of wanting more. But uh, the love of the game and the competitiveness of it, I've said, this is just, this is for me. So I went to, uh, I went to a junior college uh, for financial reasons as much as anything. Then I went to Florida State and finished my career and uh, or, or my, high, my college uh, uh, education. And uh, uh, from there started out as a junior high school basketball coach. Uh, it was the lowest grade of coaching you could get it back in those times. They wanted players that, uh, if you're a basketball coach, you pretty much needed to play college basketball and that did not happen. So I had to start at a low level, but sure. I was fine with that. And then I read every book that I could find and, uh, just gravitated and worked my way up through the ranks. Yeah. And, and so early on, what were, you know, some of the coaches that you looked up to when you made that decision in terms well, of, Okay, yeah, I want to be a basketball well, without coach. Question, yeah, without without question, uh, some people you wouldn't know, some people you would, but uh, Milton Johnson was the coach at Chipola Junior College, and he always kept an eye out for me. Uh, and and then uh, Marvin Beck was at the University of West Florida. He was a tremendous coach, and I studied and studied everything that they did. When I went to Florida State, Hugh Durham was the basketball coach there. Hugh Durham actually got me my first head coaching job in high school. And he was always, all those guys were there. If I had questions, I would ask them. And they would always be there to answer them for me. And I've never forgotten that. Uh, They were always willing to give back. Jimmy Earl, who was the head basketball coach at Middle Tennessee State University, tremendous inspiration. Uh, John Wooden, I met at a clinic and was able to sit down and, 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 uh, uh, talk with him in, in Jacksonville, Florida for, for an hour and wow. ask him questions after a clinic. Uh, and, uh, not knowing that in 1999, I would receive the John Wooden, uh, coach of the year award. Of course, uh, that had to be and a we thrill. shared that, st- we shared that story and I shared the impact that he made just, uh, by giving me that time. So those were guys, there's been a lot of people, but those were guys that made an immediate impact on me. Uh, some you would know, some you wouldn't know, but uh, they were always willing to get back. Well, and I think that uh, obviously just shows again, you know, what you've been able to do because you've taken that impact that you received from individuals and done the same for others. And, you know, so going into your journey into coaching, starting to, junior high school ranks and then how does it go from there as you you know Hugh Durham helps you at the high school well, level yeah, but getting it, into it, college. yeah yeah I did but when I was in when I was started coaching uh 
I wanted to make sure that uh, while I was young and before I had uh, children and family, I, I coached one year. And then after my first year, I married my wife, Carolyn, who's been with me for uh, since 1969, watching me coach and grow through this. And she has been such inspiration to me. But uh, we both wanted our master's degree. And I knew that at the time, if I was ever going to coach at the collegiate that level, I needed a master's degree. If that didn't work out, I could go into administration in the public schools. So <clears throat> I had some friends that had gone to Middle Tennessee State University and talked about how beautiful it was. And I thought it'd be a great, great way to get away, see the country a little bit. So in the summer times, summertime, uh, starting in 19, uh, the summer of 1970, we started, Carol and I uh, went to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and and started working on my graduate degree. And it was there that I met Coach Jimmy Earl. And uh, we spent time together, and I would ask him questions. And uh, in 1972, the year I was finishing my master's degree, I went into his office and uh, was thanking him for what he had allowed for me to do, be able to uh, learn from him, be able to talk with him, uh, share things with him, and the phone rang. And lo and behold, it was the president of Cumberland College okay. who was looking for a basketball coach. And at that point in time, uh, he looked at me and he said, are you interested in this? And I said, sure. <laughs> and he basically, uh, it, was, it was the luck of the draw, he basically got me an interview. And I interviewed, I was the head coach at Ocala Vanguard at the time, and he got me an interview. Okay with Dr. Ernest Stockton and um, Dr. Stockton thought a lot of Jimmy Earl. He looked at me and, and I was only 26 years old. He said, you're very young. I said, yes, sir. But if you'll just give me the chance, I certainly won't disappoint you. And I know having Carolyn with me was an asset because she's always been there, but he, Dr. Stockton gave me the chance yeah. to Jimmy Earl. So that's how I got into it. And I was nervous, scared, and afraid to fail. Uh, so got after it and uh, had some good teams, and that started it right there. And then from there, so you went to University of South Alabama. and I did. I did. It was another one of those ironic circumstances. The director of development at Cumberland College, his name was Bill Birch. Uh, he's now deceased, but okay. he came to me one day, and he said after the third year, we'd had three great teams. I mean, top Ten. I mean, we were very, very good uh, basketball teams. And he says, uh, University of South Alabama has a job opening. And I used to coach at Birmingham Southern, which I knew. And the vice president of Birmingham Southern uh, was now the president of the University of South Alabama. And he said, would you be interested? Would you mind if I call them and tell them a few? So he called them and they said they'd be very interested. And, uh, they flew me down for an interview. Once again, uh, the president looked at me and he said, well, you're just 29 years old. That's awfully young. <laughs> and uh, fortunately for me, he was raised in Newville, Alabama, which is probably 45 miles from Chippewa, Florida. So he knew where I was raised. Okay. He said, but I know you for, I, I know you from sawmill country. And he said, I know you're tough enough to do it. And through that interview, he gave me a chance. And at that time, I was there was 
two guys, the youngest coaches, Division One at the time was myself and Mike Krzyzewski. He was at Army and I was at the University of South Alabama. Dr. Whitten gave me the opportunity through Bill Birch, okay. uh, who got me the interview, and uh, uh, told me that, look, I don't know if we've made a mistake going to Division One, but we're going to give this three years, or maybe we need to go to Division Two. That maybe need maybe needs to be the level that we need to go at. Well, the third year, uh, we won. Uh, we 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 finished. Uh, 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 Second in the Sun Belt, and uh, and this, uh, and so that had the fire under the belt. And the next year, uh, we were able to get to the NCAA tournament where we lost to Louisville uh, at the end of the game. And so the South Alabama journey began, and yes. and uh, uh, we we were a top ten team. We went to the NCAA. We won the Sun Belt three times. And, it was during that time we joined the Sun Belt and in the league, and I was this young coach, but Gene Bartow was the head basketball coach at UAB. Um, uh, Butch Van Breedekoff was a coach at New Orleans, a, a, a legendary coach. Lee Rose was the coach uh, uh, at, at North Carolina Charlotte. Tate Locke was the head coach at oh. Jacksonville. Yes. Um, and you had Paul Webb at Old Dominion. You had Clem Haskins at Western Kentucky. So I cut my teeth against legends and was did. able to win. And that opened the door for me to go to Clemson. And when Clemson offered me the job, I actually turned it down because I was the athletic director and basketball coach at the University of South Alabama. Okay. We were having tremendous success. But the ACC kept luring me. Yes. I actually talked to some of my coaching friends, Coach Durham, Vic Bubis, who was the commissioner of the Sun Belt. They told me I was crazy. They didn't say that. They said, you'd be making a mistake if you went to Clemson, okay. I think, because you can't win there. Yeah. That just made me want the job more. So uh, after uh, turning the job down, I was recruiting a young man by the name of Vernon Maxwell, oh, yes. who was a tremendous professional player, and he had committed to us at the University of South Alabama. Wow. There was no fall recruiting period at this time, so – uh, it was a spring signing period, and I went to sign Vernon in Gainesville, Florida, in April uh, of 1984. Uh, so it had been 33 years ago. And walked in, and he was sitting with his mother, and his mother was holding hand, holding his hand, and I could tell them by the look on their face something wasn't right. Okay. The mom, the mom told me to sit down uh -huh. and. Uh, and, and she wanted to talk to me and she said, you have recruited my son better than anybody. Uh, and he loves you, but the university of Florida has always been his dream. And they offered him a scholarship today and that's where he's going to go. My heart sunk. Of course. I immediately went to the Gainesville airport. I called Dwight Rainey up, said, I don't know if, if you're still interested, but I am flying to Atlanta and I will sit down and talk with you this was on a friday okay they picked me up i met with dwight rainey bobby robinson and the athletic director at the time bill mcclellan and before i left they offered me the job so i went i left mobile to sign vernon maxwell i came back to mobile <laughs> to pick my wife up to take the job at clemson oh, so that's goodness. how the clemson experience came about that is a winding yeah. road that's for sure sir a winding winding road and there from Clemson, uh, 
it was a matter of uh, it was a matter of getting people to believe yes. in what we were doing, like we had done at Cumberland College and like we've done at South Alabama. But I, I challenged our players that okay, we're going to compete against Duke in North Carolina. And we were very fortunate enough to have some young men that bought in. Uh, Horace Grant was, who is a legend, was in that group. Grayson Marshall was in that group and many, many others. I can't sit here and go over every player that played uh, with regards to it. But uh, I, I know this, that that team bought in. And in the first year, we were not expected to win, and we were able to have a winning season, went to the NIT. But in 1987, uh, I'll never forget this, we finished runner-up regular season in the ACC. I've never seen this before, never seen it since. Because Clemson had never finished in the upper echelon, so to speak, in the ACC, they had never finished runner-up. And the fans, we beat Wake Forest to win 10, it was 14 conference games, yes. finished 10 and four. The fans stormed the court and cut the nets down. And I said, what is going on here? And said, look, we've never had a runner-up <laughs> finish in the ACC. And so they cut the nets down. And I said, okay, this is going to be a start. And then in 1990, they really got to cut the nets down. We became regular season champions. And uh, uh, so it started with Horace Grant's era, and Grace in that era, and and those players on that team, and then along came Eldon Campbell, yeah. Dale Davis, that group, uh, and uh, so that was the championship run, and uh, uh, it it uh, uh, so it, it it was done, but not only uh, won in the uh, went in the ACC, but I think runner up that '87 that was. That was the start of it. Yeah, that laid the foundation. Laid the foundation. We had great guys, and we developed a niche for big men Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, went on to to do some great things. And, you know, from there, I went to Auburn. Yeah, and just Uh, continued the success uh, at Auburn. Yeah, went to Auburn. There there was some uh, uh, – so the Auburn era was the same. I – Basically, there had been one SEC championship, and that had been 1959. But I said, we're, going, we're here to win a championship. And then in 1999, uh, with Chris Porter and company, we were able to win the SEC. Uh, we were able to go to the Sweet 16. Uh, we lost to Ohio State uh, in the Sweet 16. Uh, and then in 2003, we went back to the Sweet 16 with Marquise Daniels. Um, and, uh, so from, we went in, in 1995 and it was when we had our own recruiting class from 1999 to 2004 in that five years span, we went to three NCAA tournaments, uh, two sweet 16s. Yes. We won an SEC championship, had a couple of runner ups and, uh, in 2004, uh, I was asked to fire my staff, which I wouldn't do. Okay. So therefore, I left Auburn, yep. and uh, and uh, I'm I'm one of those guys that's not contentious, but I will stand up for my program. Uh, uh, I left Clemson on my own okay. because I didn't feel that I was on the same leave wavelength with the uh, upper administration, not our AD, but okay. uh, 
I felt it was time for me to move. I didn't want to, but I felt it was time. So there, there are just times that come when you have to part ways. Yeah. And so I understand. doing that, and then I went into television. Uh, didn't know if I'd ever coach again, and then the opportunity came at Coastal Carolina. And because I'd been at Clemson, I knew a lot about the Grand Strand area. Of course. And uh, I knew that it was not the ACC or the SEC, but they'd had one winning season in 15 years. And uh, I knew that I wanted to get the smell of the gym again, and okay. I took over this program. And we've done the same things here. Uh, we've gotten to the NCAA tournament. We've won the championship. Now we're in the Sun Belt. And yes. I've got one last last thing I want to do is get in here. I started in the Sun Belt, and I'd love to finish with a title under my belt. But if I don't win another game, I've been very fortunate, very blessed to have coached so many great teams. And the journey has been unbelievable, and uh, I've been very blessed. It has kept me young. Of course. And so the decision to get back into coaching at Coastal Carolina, was it more of that you missed coaching and the smell of the gym that you absolutely. referenced? or Absolutely. Well, yeah, or was it also that, well, I've, I've, hey, I wanted to accomplish something at Coastal Carolina which hadn't been done? Right, all of that, and I, and and I and I love to compete, and I love helping young people. Okay, and you know, through television, and my career in television was really going in a positive manner. It really was, it was really. Yeah, I tell people, I said, getting a college coaching job is a lot easier than a television job, because there's only there's only a few television networks, yes. and there's three hundred and something. A division one job, but that doesn't count. Division two, three. That's right. Uh, I mean, the jobs that are available, but you count, you can count on both hands the number of television stations, uh, networks. And so every coach wants to do television, but let me tell you, it is a very difficult market. But I enjoyed it and I was headed in the right direction, but I knew I could make an impact on young people's lives. I love to compete. I had not gotten it out of my system, and I still don't. Yeah. It keeps me young. As long as my health's good and we stay competitive, then I still feel like I can do this for a while. And sure. as long as Mike Krzyzewski, who were the same age, okay. people like Jimmy Boeheim, yeah. uh, you know, Steve Fisher, and guys like Bill Snyder, who does it on the football end, and, and uh, those guys do it, it, it it's an asset because – there's no question that age becomes discriminatory and people will use that against you recruiting and wherever else. And, uh, anytime you, anytime it starts to fall to you that, you know, well, is he over the hill? Is it done? You know? And, and so you got to stay on your P's and Q's, but it keeps me on my toes. I bet it does. I look forward to more success. Yep. Now, so you've, like I said, a long career, and we just walked through it. What are some of the differences coaching today versus when you started or similarities uh, between the – Well, the uniform, uniforms are different. Okay. <laughs> That's right. We definitely <laughs> They're a lot that. longer and more baggy. Uh, the, kids, the kids are faster. Okay. They're stronger. They're more athletic. Yep. Just like any era, they get bigger, they get taller, they get stronger, they get faster. Uh, we didn't have a shot clock when I entered the game. That's a 30 second clock. There wasn't a three sec. There wasn't three point shots. There now is. Uh, 
but uh, those are the those are the big differences. But the kids stay the same. Okay. I still think it gets back to discipline, uh, honing in on your craft, and 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 getting your guys to be the best that you can be. Well, and speaking of the discipline and the foundations of all of you know that you've been able to lay you know through your coaching career and. So it just how would you sum up just the impact of sports in your life? Well, it's helped me grow and learn, and I've learned so much from the young people uh, that I've been able to share this game with and people I have. But I think that the impact that it's made on my life is the fact that uh, it has given me a vehicle to be able to help make a difference in young people's lives. And in return, they've made a difference in my life. And when you go through life, I think that if you look at it, I'd sum it up this way. If you can love deeply, heartily, if you can share deeply and heartily, and if you can serve deeply and heartily you have had a great great life and through this game i've been able to see what love is all about uh not only with my family but with my players and with teams i've been able to share with those teams and i've been able to serve yes um and, and, and if you have those things, if you love, share, and serve, if you have those three things in your life, your life is full. Uh, I have served uh, my family. I've served my God. And I have served my players. Okay. And I have loved serving. Uh, and I think that that's the impact that I would say that sports has made and allowed me to be able to make a difference in people's lives. Well, and obviously you've had a long career in, in sports and I know it'll continue as well. And, you know, to wrap things up here, coach, I truly believe in, you know, sharing, you know, words of wisdom with our listeners and, you know, you just shared a a tremendous uh, amount of wisdom there, but do you have any quotes or phrases that you've, you know, used in your life from a motivational standpoint or for your players that you um, you know, lean on throughout your career? Uh, yeah, there's one that, that I, I, I go back to. There's been tons of them. Yeah, of course. But one that I heard young in my career, and I have to go back to the 60s when I started. If it is to be, it's up to me. And that's a quote. If it is to be, it's up to me. You know, I got to look that guy in the mirror. The bottom line is you got to look at that guy in the mirror every day that's doing this thing. You know, you got to have a conversation with that guy every day as to what you're trying to do. You've got, you brush that person's teeth, you comb that person's hair. Uh, so that quote stuck out, stuck out to me. If it is to be, it's up to me. Well, I thank you for sharing that. And I, I know you've lived that uh, through your life and career. And, uh, you know, Coach Ellis, I, I know I'm just one of hundreds of men that you've impacted over the years. And I appreciate all what you have done. And I greatly appreciate your time today. And 
Uh, I know there's going to be more victories uh, for you in Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt, and I'm definitely looking forward to continuing following you, Coach Ellis. Thank you. Well, Richie, it was always a pleasure to be with you, and you've been a part of this journey, and I'm indebted to that to, for, to you for that. I thank you for that. Uh, you are also a blessing to those people that uh, that you surround yourself with, and, and that's the beauty of life, and that's the journey that we live. And um, I, I'm glad that you do that and, and know that you will continue to do that. We greatly appreciate Coach Ellis being able to share his journey with us. What a wonderful opportunity to hear his story and just some of the things of how life hinges on simple decisions and what happens from there. Just the whole Vernon Maxwell story is just mind-boggling to me. And again, I was with Coach Ellis for four years, but never knew his story of how he became the head coach at Clemson University, and especially in a situation like that where it hinged on Vernon Maxwell's decision to go to the University of Florida instead of South Alabama, and that leads Coach Ellis to Clemson University. It's just absolutely amazing. And probably another thing that you might have picked up on is Coach Ellis referring to me as Richie, (laughs) my nickname. And um, obviously my stage name is Richmond, but Richie is what a lot of people know me as. But it was a great opportunity of hearing that uh, story from Coach Ellis and just the impact that sports has had in his life and just how he is focused more on it's not about him it's about everybody else that he's been surrounded with and what he's also been able to learn from all of those individuals that he's been connected with and I just think that's a great viewpoint and a perspective to keep in mind as we're going through this journey that hey we're all in this together and we can learn from each other and it's not a unilateral one-way situation uh, in terms of a learning process. Well That wraps up episode number two. I hope you enjoyed that interview, and I'm looking forward to sharing another uh, interview with you in episode number three, part of the trio for this official launch. And again, remember, please follow me at Rich Take Sports. Email me with any type of feedback, suggestions, Richmond at richtakeonsports.com. Don't forget, you can go to the website, richtakeonsports.com, where you can find a lot of information. You can subscribe. And also, again, the biggest compliment is being able to rate and review on iTunes and also being able to share with others. And just remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.